momentum. We just launched in the last couple of months a management academy. So we've taken 10 managers from across the business at various different levels and we're putting them through a leadership training over a course of 18 months, which is a big commitment from us financially and a big commitment from them in terms of time and effort. But hopefully we then get the VP level emerging out of the current management team rather than having to go and hire outside the organization in the future. Hi, I'm Belded Mankus. Welcome to The Purposeful Strategist. The podcast that shifts the conversation about purpose and strategy from what organizations should do to what business leaders are doing and what they've learned along the way. In this episode, I'm very pleased to welcome Mike Lord, Chairman and CEO of Stilts Lifts, back to the Purposeful Strategist. He shares with us how their continued growth has helped them more fully realize their purpose of fun, freedom, and financial. He also describes what they put in place to make it easy for the whole organization to know where they're going and how they're going to get there. Mike, welcome back to The Purposeful Strategist. You were with us uh, about a year ago, actually when we were still fairly new, episode 18, I think. If anybody wants to go back and re-listen to that, it might be worthwhile. I think some of the things we talked about then were your purpose around fun, freedom, and financial, and your mission about democratizing home lifts. Love to hear kind of how things are with you and a bit of an update since then. Thank you for inviting me back, Belden. Been an interesting year. So I think where we left it last time, we were just about to get into the next level down of strategy planning. So we've done it with the senior team and we're about to talk to the management team. I think it was just the next week after we did the podcast, actually. So we've been through that loop and ended up with departmental strategies now as well. Pretty ensconced. We did a review of the values that we had with those guys and got some really good input in terms of values and how we manage our employees. We've got a few acronyms, some of which are developed on from history and some of which are new to us. So that's been an interesting process. And the last little bit of that whole strategic planning process is just getting the individual job roles updated. So we make sure that the job role goals and objectives tie back into the apartment ones that tie into the group ones, obviously. Sounds like a pretty organized, somewhat traditional strategic cascade approach. How long did all that take? How many people were involved in it? I would imagine start to finish from me thinking in the first instance we need to do it in order to get ourselves more organized to the future to actually having the departmental plans in place. It's probably an 18-month process overall. By the time we'd gone backwards and forwards and adapted stuff and moved it on and had further conversations... It's certainly 18 months. It may even be two years in total from from my first thought about doing it. And to some extent, that's fine because we haven't been in a rush to do it. We've been on a nice growth trajectory. So there was nothing broken. It was just about reasserting where we're at and what we're going to do for the future as much as it was about changing stuff that had gone wrong in the past. You know, we probably ought to go back a little bit, if you're willing to, with me, to just cover a few basics for just what's a home lift, what does stilts do, how big are you, how big have you become in the last year, all those sorts of things. Of course, yes. So stilts has been around since September 2010. 
We were originally founded by four Australians and we've been reasonably well globalized since day one. So we're based in the USA, China and the UK. The concept of the product is it's a home lift and a home lift is probably easiest described as a shaftless domestic elevator. And the name stilts comes from two poles, which effectively the lift sits on and rides up and down, which are right in the middle of the center of gravity. And those can be placed anywhere in a house, whether it's in a stair void against a wall, in a corner at an angle, in the middle of your lounge if you really wanted to, but that, that maybe wouldn't make sense. But it's a very versatile lift system. And, and it sits really in the world between a stair lift, which nobody really wants, very much a knee-driven product, and an elevator, which is more expensive at the other end, which people may want, but either don't have the space or can't afford. This time last year when we talked, we were just breaking through the £15 million barrier. We've had another good year. We've grown by 20%, so this year we'll finish on about 62 ish million and shooting for something beginning with a seven in 2023. Employees-wise, we've got another 30 employees in the US. That's pretty much doubled the US employee base in the last year, and we've added another 40 or so people in the UK, gone from about 180 to 220, not quite, just shy of 220. It's a decent-sized business now. If I've got it right then, the UK bit of it's sort of the biggest bit. So it's biggest by number of people, but not necessarily by turnover. So the, the UK turnover-wise makes up about a third of what we do. Really? And then the rest is made up in the rest of the world. Yeah, so US about a third and the rest of the world sales about a third. And UK is actually smaller by unit volume. It's probably 25% of what we do, but we install direct in the UK, whereas in the rest of the world, we have a dealer model. So the, the average selling price higher in the UK. Yeah. So you said you've been doing a lot of work on the strategy. Correct. Is that changing the strategy? Has it been a shift in direction or just sort of more in the same direction? So it's more in the same direction and it's being a lot more specific about what we're trying to do in terms of the relationship between us and our dealer customer and the relationship with the consumer as well. So it's very much been market-focused, channel-driven change. We've got a new generation of products coming through now, which we've been working on for a while, and they're just starting to go into production at this point. So the new products ready and coming through as a new, if you like, platform to build on over the next 10 to 20 years, and the distribution strategy is building too. And then the other big big bit of strategy has been about the third pillar of a business, in, in my view, which is process, and, and try to grow up and be more focused on process and how you drive that efficiency and effectiveness through the business as well. And we've not really had to worry about efficiency going back because we've been growing so quickly, it's not been a problem. But as you get to a much bigger business, you've got to drive that efficiency at some point. Mm. You talked about a new kind of platform in terms of the product. How's it different? Because I've kind of got this model of these two posts and a thing that goes up and down in between them. Is that still the same? The stilts remain because that's obviously fundamental to what we do and the differentiation of the product versus what everybody else does. It's the way in which we manufacture it in such a way that it's more modularized. So historically, the product grew off an original design and effectively adding stuff to that original design in order to get better and more functional product. At some point, you then have to stop and go, well, we're just adding more stuff to it now. How do we go back to first principles, start again? 
and create that platform like the car industry do where you have a manufacturer will have two brands built on the same chassis and we're doing effectively exactly the same. We've got a low-end product range and a high-end product range, all now with the same rail internal structure and all now with a universal drive system that just fits across the whole range. So as we roll this out, we end up with a platform where we can offer more options and more choice to the consumer whilst not complicating our logistical lives too much. It makes a lot of sense. It sounds like it's a sort of, as you say, back to first principles. Did you take the same theory, the same mindset into the work on process? So not so much on process in the same way, Belden, because we'd already started the process work probably two and a half years ago, where probably up until three years ago, we didn't have a central ERP system in the business. So probably 24 months ago now, we put proper ERP system in. So it gave the business that fundamental building block. What we're then doing is looking at, okay, how do you take that and how do you move it forwards into distribution channel and provide the IT services out to the distribution channel that allow you to tie the businesses together a lot better? Because if we take the US business in 90% of the cases, we're the first point of contact for the consumer. And what we want to do is efficiently get the inquiry that we get from the consumer into an appointment in the home for the dealer and have that feedback loop so we know what's going on all the way through with that appointment. So building those processes in helps. And the other bit is we've learned an awful lot about how to install the product in the UK ourselves. So how do we help those individual businesses scale so that we can scale faster? So if you've got 100, say, dealers in the US all scaling, it allows us to scale even faster. Yeah. That sounds like it's a mix of process, technology, a bunch of things. Did you do all that work with you know your own people or did you reach outside for external help? Now, we've definitely had external help at times. So on the mechanical design side on the product, for example, really good at doing that. On the electronics design, uh, not so good at doing that when we first started. And we've gone from using external resource to just bringing that back in-house now. So we've been developing more centers of expertise, if you like, as we've gone through that. So as we've realized something's fundamental and core to to strategy, we bring it in-house. And exactly the same as we do with digital marketing. In the early days, we used to subcontract out digital marketing, realize it was fundamental and core to strategy and brought that in-house. And have there been other things that as you've been working on it, you realize aren't core to strategy and you've outsourced or has it more been as you grow bringing things in yeah so it so core it infrastructure we still use a lot of external help on that and i think that gives us more flexibility than trying to do that all ourselves right now especially if we're going to do a rollout of an it platform for the us dealers for example so that allows us to offer that flexibility and in the early days before it all cements down, you know exactly what you're doing. It gives you some more inputs that you can get from various different sources to make sure you get the design right and the architecture right. Mm-hmm. In doing all that, how's that fit in with your purpose? Yeah, so our purpose, which you will remember from last time, was fun, freedom, and financial. So it adds to the fun because we've now got more people to help us do stuff so we're not all doing it all on our own and so we are taking some time out just to make sure that we're not working all the time and that we do have time to do some other stuff as well the financial bit just naturally comes from the success of the business so as the business grows and becomes more profitable clearly the financial rewards for shareholders go up 
And then the freedom bit. So uh, don't tell everybody I'm probably working less hard than I ever have done because I'm getting a little bit older now. But at the same time, that whole strategy journey allows you to do that, right? Because at least everybody knows what they're meant to be doing and where they're going. And I cannot do everything all myself. At the moment I start doing tasks these days, I'm probably getting in the way rather than helping. So I tend to sit back, let everybody get on with it, and then just poke them when I think we're going off the rails a little bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there've been a number of things that have been sort of big disruptions in the world in the last year ukraine covid continuing interest rates going up etc cetera, etc cetera. how's all that been landing with you so of the three of those um take them in the order you said ukraine not really affected our business too much we were doing a little bit with Russia, which we stopped doing, obviously, like a lot of companies did at the time. But we didn't have any fundamental supply chains or anything coming from Ukraine or that area of the world. So we haven't been disrupted from that awful situation that's developed. COVID continues to cause havoc at times. So we came back from Chinese New Year in China to a lockdown again in Greater Shanghai area, which we were affected by. So we had no factory for six weeks earlier in the year. Fortunately, we had taken the decision to add a lot of stock into our supply chain. So we managed to keep going quite comfortably this time. So we're running with particularly high stock levels to just obviate any impact that that happens there. The final piece of that, the economic challenges, Clearly, those are quite acute for our particular customer base, because if you imagine you're retired with your wealth pool, and most of our customers are older and retired, then you've got high inflation and relatively low interest rates and a stock market that's not performing particularly well. So if you're sat there looking at buying our product uh, with the cost of that product, you probably will think a little bit longer and harder. So We have seen order intake slow down over the last three or four months in the US and in the UK. We're still growing, which is great when you're coming off 20%. A slowdown is okay because we're still growing significantly versus where we've been historically. But that just probably makes it a little bit more difficult. The cost of acquiring a customer goes up and it just makes it harder to get somebody to just make that final decision to sign on the dotted line and commit to refurbing their home in some way. That's a little bit more challenging at this point. Sounds like you've got a little bit of almost like sort of cross currents. You're growing, overall growth, and that's the strategy. And then sort of this thing that might be slowing it down a bit. How are you and the, you know, the leadership team there navigating all of that? Because it often seems there's these questions of, you know, do we rein back a little bit? Do we press harder? How are you navigating through all that? In reality, because we're still growing, it's not a massive deal for us right now. Would we like to have grown 20 million rather than 12 million this year? Yes, of course. And would we like to have developed the US market a little bit faster than we have done? Yes, of course. And you do make decisions like, do we rein in this bit of advertising? So some advertising is more risky than other advertising. So you rein in the bits that are more risky and you focus on that core. So you still end up on that growth curve. It does make it more challenging and it does make you slightly more conservative in your decision making, I think, when you see those headwinds just kicking in. Are you kind of anticipating that it's going to be a I won't say a blip, but that the weather's going to get a little better, or are you also anticipating, well, we just might have to hunker down here a bit? 
No, not anticipating hunkering down. It's sort of not the stilts way to hunker down. <laughs> so we're going to push on through that. And I think we can see the runway now and inflation dropping. And I think inflation is the big one for our customer base. Once you see inflation coming back down to 3 4% and interest rates are at or above that level, then I think our customer base will probably get a lot more comfortable with the world as it is at that point. They'll know where they are a bit more and the world will be a bit more normal as far as they're concerned. I don't anticipate this lasting forever or need to start cutting costs or anything like that because our turnover is still going to be ahead of this year, next year. So still very much in a growth mindset. Very much so, yeah, absolutely. One of the things that we touched on last time we spoke was you feeling like you'd like your people to be a bit more empowered, a bit more proactive. That's a very difficult thing to engender in an organization. How are you going about that and how's it going? I guess it starts from the top down. So I'm, I'm trying to interfere less. I'm trying to encourage rather than decide myself. So it's, somewhat of it is my behavior. Another thing which has become a phenomenon for us over the, the last year or so is creating another tier of management. So we've got a management level, which is what you'd call in the US a VP level or a staff director in the UK maybe. And so we're creating another tier of management with people who are coming in naturally decision makers and just getting on with it. And therefore, we're just letting them do that. And then the final piece is we're working from management down then in terms of empowerment. And we just launched in the last couple of months, a management academy. So we've taken 10 managers from across the business at various different levels and we're putting them through a leadership training over a course of 18 months which is a big commitment from us financially and a big commitment from them in terms of time and effort. But hopefully we then get the VP level emerging out of the current management team rather than having to go and hire outside the organization in the future. So trying to build those stars of the future. And and as they go through that process, then, you know, hopefully that empowerment. And again, just to repeat, it's a word I don't like because it just has all sorts of connotations, which, which I don't like. But trying to get decisions made at the right level and right place in the organization is the important thing. And hopefully those people come out there with more confidence, more understanding. And, you know, we're running workshops. So the, the directors are running workshops with them as well as some external trainers as well. So we've got some occupational psychologists working with them. We've got a very hands-on trainer working with them in terms of how do I handle a review? How do I do a disciplinary process? How do we do all of this stuff, but in very practical terms as well? And then we've got each of the directors in the UK running some sort of a module about the business and stiltifying that whole experience as well. So we ran one on Friday called Then to Now, which was Lockie, who's one of our founders, talking about his story of how he started the business and then the various stages of ownership that we've been through over the last 12 years and giving them a better understanding of the, you know, the DNA, what makes the business tick and why it is what it is as much as where it's going. Hmm. It sounds very much from what you've said that this is a program that you put together yourselves, drawing in people, but a lot of it delivered by your own people, a very stilt kind of program. Was that a conscious decision that you wanted it to be very much your thing? Or how did you do that rather than, oh, we're going to send them all off to somewhere? So the problem with sending somebody off on a course somewhere is they go off on the course. We don't know what they've learned. We're not engaged and involved with that. So when they come back, we don't know how to help them with it. Whereas doing this and designing this from the ground up ourselves with some help from outside, what that means is we're engaged in that whole process all the way through. We have 
the 10 people on the course each have a director assigned to them. So you have what we call a trio, which is a director and two of the management academy attendees. And they then spend some time between all the different course modules talking about what they've done and trying to build that relationship between these guys and the directors as well to get that deeper understanding of each other. And hopefully what comes out of that is they feel more involved in stilts. They feel more aware of what's going on around them. They know the directors better and they feel like they can challenge upwards a lot more than might have done before. And they feel empowered to go off and make decisions because they will realize that we do want them just to go run their bit of the business. The less we have to interfere and tell them what to do, the better. Is that model one you've used elsewhere or you develop just for this? Yes, in a previous business, we did a similar thing, a management academy. I don't think the course design was as good as this. I think, you know, learned something from that in the past. But this is sort of a more modern way of doing it and is more leadership training and more understanding of the corporate DNA than the previous one was. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So a bit of both the soft stuff and the more hard edge stuff, but both. Exactly that. Yeah, exactly. If you'll forgive me a, a small rant here. One of the things that I've seen in the last 20, 25 years is a real focus on leadership, which is a great thing, but often at the detriment of hard management skills. And it sounds like you're deliberately trying to make sure you've got both. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with you. There's no point in telling people all the psychology of leadership and all of that stuff if you don't then allow them to implement that, but also help them to go from, well, what did I learn about how theories of teams work to actually sitting in a meeting and chairing that meeting with my team and getting the most out of those meetings I can. Like, you know, ask individual people all the time rather than the people who always speak up, ask the people who don't speak up. It's just that basic, obvious stuff, common sense, which you lose on a day-to-day -day basis that if you don't step out and think, oh yeah, I could do that. And then coming back and saying, hey, did you use those skills? What did you do with that? How have you done that? Explain to me what effect you think that had. Was that good or bad? Did it work for you? Did you feel good doing it? Did you feel uncomfortable doing it? How did it work for you? And just going back around it to make sure that the theory is mapped to the practical. Yeah. Going back around, is that done by this trio? Yep. Done by the trio and peer group review within the academy as well. So every time they go back to the academy to have the couple of day sessions that they have every couple of months, they go through what they learned last time, how they've applied it or not applied it. And they have work plans and then they're doing individual sessions in the meantime with the trainers as well. So they're getting the trainers talking to them, they're getting us talking to them, and then they're getting peer group review as well. It sounds like it's very coaching heavy that a lot of the conversations the directors are having rather than line manager conversations, if I could put it that way. Yeah, very much so. Absolutely. The directors that they're talking to are not in their line management. So we've taken them out of their line management and applied them to a different director they don't normally deal with. Well, they might deal with them, but not, not as a line manager. And so you said it's about 18 months. Yeah. Just, where, where are you in the 18 months? So we did module one about five weeks ago, and we've just done the first stilts training session last week. So our next module is in February, and it rolls around to October next year. Then they have a project that they have to do at the end of that. Very interesting. Every time we talk, Mike, you tell me things that I think, oh, I'll be really interested to hear how that turns out. <laughs> I anticipate really great. <laughs> Let's hope so. One of the other things when we talked last, I'd asked you what advice would you give? And I think the way I'd sum it up is it was about the importance of having a structured approach to addressing all these issues of strategy and purpose and all of that. Is there anything you might add to that or 
change about that advice? No, I don't think so. I'm naturally a very unstructured person. And so I guess what I've learned is that if you want to get organizations to do what you'd like them to do, you have to develop the structure around yourself in order to do that. So whether that's a monthly meeting cycle or a weekly or daily meeting cycle, whether it's strategy, whether it's corporate values, all of those things start adding up together. And if you don't do that, what you'll tend to do is send confusing messages because you're saying different things at different times to different people and nobody knows what the expectation is at that point. So unless you're structured, the guys who are actually doing the important stuff, which is looking after customers or doing work for customers, won't know how you want them to go about that and how you want them to approach their life at work and the importance of those customers to the organization and to them and how they interface with their colleagues back at base and all of that stuff doesn't work unless you put the structure around it. And the bigger the organization gets, unfortunately, the more structured and planned and organized I'm going to have to be, I suspect. Yeah. I got the sense from our last conversation that in your mind, sort of 50 million was a gear shift change. Below that, organizations work one way. Above that, they increasingly work a different way. If that's right, what have you been doing to reflect that change? Yeah, so if if it's right, and I think it might be as much about transactional numbers as it is about turnover. So previous business I ran, the average selling price for a product was probably about a third of where we are now. So you end up with three times the volume to get to the same number. So our transactional numbers are lower than I've run an organization before, but our turnover is now higher than any organization I've run before. So this is for me into a little bit of an charted territory in the sense that I haven't run an organization this big financially before either. So does the structure change? Yeah. So I think there's some probably pivot points. I think probably about five or six million structures have to change. Probably about 15 or 20 million, I think structures have to change. And my theory is around about 50 or 60 million, they probably have to change as well. And I think we've done that change already. And I think we now have a a structures and a, a way of running the organization probably can take us 200 million plus without having to change a lot more. It's doing more of the same rather than any fundamental shifts at this point, I suspect. But I don't know because I've never been there before, Bill. Never been there. (laughs) Never been there. So, Mike, we've been talking a lot about strategy and, you know, training and values and all of that. I'm sure that's important, but can't make up your whole day. What does an average day or week look like for you? Yeah, so that is a really important point. Belden, because I think it's possible because of the nature of the podcast that we end up talking about the higher level stuff all the time and and not necessarily putting on our other caps in life. So so I, I have this thing about different hats you wear in life. So so a lot a lot of the stuff we're talking about now is my chairman's hat and my shareholders hat. Um, my chief exec hat probably uh, also has a bit of strategy involved with it, but. I probably spend less than 10% of my time worrying about all this strategy stuff. And I probably spend 90% of my time thinking about the financial results we've got, what's causing them, what's driving them, what do we need to tweak, and going through conversations with managers and the rest of the team about what comes next, what we're doing, how do we improve, why does that number look like it is, how do we get on top of that and what are the day-to-day actions as well as the longer-term actions to keep us on track and keep us on the rails? 
Yes, I don't want to at any point give the impression that, you know, strategy is everything and the be all end all because it's what you do every minute of every day that makes the difference, not what you say in a presentation about what your strategy is. Yeah, yeah. You talked a bit about the importance of structure and, and you know, kind of structured meetings and all of that. Are there meetings in the course of a, a week or a month that you think, yeah, I really love that meeting because that's where lots of really great stuff happens. Yeah. So we have a series of probably eight meetings, which I run and it's on a monthly cycle. So, so one is a new product development meeting. There's a people meeting. There's an IT meeting, which is about process and improving process, obviously. And then we have the channel meeting. So we have our consumer channel meeting, our USA channel meeting, our rest of the world channel meeting. Other than that, Everything else is relatively either project focused on an ad hoc basis or to do with people reviews and that sort of stuff, that, the stuff that's scheduled. So very much we're enacting the strategy through those meetings and trying to push on down to the detail of what will get that channel or that product to the next step along the way in order to move us towards what we're trying to achieve. Yeah. You talked earlier about the five sort of strategy points that make up your jigsaw are you sort of saying that out of those eight meetings, five of them are the jigsaw pieces? Yeah. And actually, all of those meetings are to do with those jigsaw pieces, in fact, because there's quite a bit of channel focus in there, which is, again, about that consumer-driven is our strategy point there. It's like trying to get as close to the consumer as we possibly can in each market, for example. Mm. One of the things I take out of that is, yes, you may not spend much time on the strategy, but in a very positive way, a lot of what you're doing is the enacting of that strategy. Let's not confuse people. Let's keep a few simple messages that everybody understands. And the whole way we run the place is kind of built around that. Yeah, absolutely. And what you're doing at that point is you're taking each department and you're going through what they're meant to be doing in order to achieve ultimately the strategy. But what they're meant to be doing this week, this month, next month, not what they're meant to be doing in three years time. Mike, that's a great point. Obviously, I'm very interested in strategy and purpose, but for a chief exec, it's only a part of the day, only a part of the year. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. Yeah. What haven't we talked about that maybe we might want to touch on? The one thing I I referred earlier to acronyms. And if you're going to try and get everybody in the organization to remember what it is you want them to remember then I think strap lines and acronyms work really well as a tool for allowing people at least remember the idea of what you were talking about, if not the specifics of it. So we had a lot of stuff. When we went back and looked at our strategy and the way that we presented it to the organization before, we had lots of things we were asking people to remember. And we've honed that down basically into three things that we've asked them to do. The first one is be nice, make it easy. So be nice to each other and make it easy so make it easy for each other and for our customers and i think having that internal slogan actually if you're asking them to remember values and our values are made up from nice so and we cheat a little bit with acronyms so the first letter n stands for nice then integrity community and empathy flow off that so if we ask them to remember integrity community and empathy chances are not everybody will remember that so we do a team brief every third of the year so between the team briefs they won't but they'll remember be nice right so you stand a fighting chance of putting it into a place where people who don't have to worry about this stuff all day every day will still have a chance of remembering that as well as doing their day job so if they remember be nice make it easy then we can get there 
And the other acronym which always entertains me is we have one which is called SMAC. So we want to smack our employees. <laughs> SMAC stands for safe and secure, motivation, appreciation, challenge, and knowledgeable. So the knowledgeable is about training. The challenge is about the fact sometimes, guys, this might be a bit stressful because we are going to push you hard. Obviously, the appreciation and motivation bits are obvious in management. You should show appreciation and try to motivate your staff. And then the safe and secure is all about that personal mental safety, but also health and safety, physical health and safety as well. So hopefully by hanging effective, the whole of the strategy and values around two or three things, you start to get people to remember on top of the jigsaw. And we've got the jigsaw, which is our five strategy points as well. So what we're trying to do is internal marketing as well as we do external marketing. So you want your customers to get a message. Well, your employees need a message and it'll be a different one. Mm, I like that. Be nice and make it easy, partly because it talks to things people can see in real life and they know it when they see it and they can either acknowledge it or kind of raise it as an issue versus sometimes you get these values. It's like, I, I don't know if I'd know that when I saw it. Exactly. Yeah, that's really good. Exactly. And, and nice is seen as a bland expression. I think everybody knows what nice is. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think it's really interesting because we had this debate about, well, nice is just a bit bland. And it's like, yeah, but nice is nice, right? It's, it, it still works. It's really important. Well, particularly because there's some things that some organizations really can fall prey to that aren't nice, which is gossip, yep. backbiting, you know, all that sort all of, of that. stuff. It's like, that's just not nice. No. Yeah. You know, it's not nice, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Like I say, you know, when you see it, it's right there. Yep. Mike, it's been great to catch up. It's been really great to hear about your continued growth and success and sort of to hear about how you've been developing the strategy. And this Management Academy, I think, is really interesting. I'll look forward at an appropriate time to perhaps hearing how that's all gone even further. Thanks for joining us. Sure. Thank you very much, Belden. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Purposeful Strategist. Please email any questions or suggestions to belden at mancus.com. In addition to being available on our website, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. If you enjoyed this episode, we release a new episode weekly. Don't forget to subscribe. Thanks again, and join us soon for the next episode of The Purposeful Strategist.